Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, the Germans wake the beast to remind us all what they're capable of. France draw with Hungary, showing us all that they're only human. Spain are held by Poland, and we look ahead to Wales' final group game in Rome. All that and more coming on this episode of the Game Euro 2020. So many great podcasts, so little time. So please make sure you're subscribed to the game and make sure you leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from as well. If you're enjoying it, you can also get a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times across all of your devices. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. I am Hugh Wisencroft. Hello. Welcome back. I am back in Blighty. Made the trip from Baku, returning with the best of the action at the European Championship. And to help me through it all, Ian Hawkey, Alison Rudd, and making his European Championship debut, James Gearbrandt. Hello and welcome, James. Hi. <laughs> and, and obviously thrilled to be here. Glad you must have listened to the podcast because that sort of reception is what I get on every single episode. So I'm glad to know that you've kept the theme running. Loads for us to discuss. As I say, welcome and hello. Ian Hawkey in Rome as well. Looking forward to the game against Wales. Alison Rudd and I uh, in the UK. But we have to begin with the performance of the day, definitely. Maybe even the performance of the European Championship thus far. It finished Germany 4 Portugal 2 in Munich, Jerkim Love's side announcing themselves as possible contenders. Ian, I'm going to start with you on this. Were, were we all too quick to count Germany out? And did you see today coming at all? Because it was a, it was a fantastic performance. Without rehearsing an old cliche, um, no, you, you, nobody counts Germany out. You know, that's just, it's just not in the rules, is it? I imagine they might have a, a big performance in them if they got the chance. They were done a few favours by Portugal, weren't they? Um, in what was a, a brilliantly open game in which Germany did some things wrong and in other circumstances would have been really sharply criticised for, for them because they were careless. But, uh, but uh, you know, they, they, the, the big players we, we know have it in them turned up and and my goodness they've got a brilliant left wing back haven't they they absolutely do and that's my next point actually Alison the 3-4-3 formation I won't mention England too much here but they they think I think today Germany showed Gareth Southgate actually how England should play but of course we've been through all of that yesterday so I won't go too much into it just to say though those advanced wing backs Robin Gosens of Atalanta Joshua Kimmich of course of Bayern Munich both impressed 
Um, were you impressed by them? Why do you think they were so good? Well, Gerson's was particularly impressive, but basically because Portugal's didn't have a clue what to do about him. Um, definitely a nine out of ten performance. Everything seemed to come through him, and he was fairly effortless with it as well. And I like the fact that um, there was a lot of chat beforehand because I think it's it's sort of become fashionable to to decide that um, Love has lost it, and everyone thinks he's um, you know why is he still there? Everyone knows he's leaving, so why is he still there? And why would the players play for him? Uh, he's yesterday's man and he doesn't know what he's doing he drops players and he brings them back and oh my goodness he's playing three at the back you know what does he think he's doing but it worked brilliantly because it did give them that, that width and um, they exploited it they they exploited basically a very um, unbalanced Portugal team because they're quite sort of slow at the back anyway um, and then and, and so they just couldn't cope with the with the pace um, and yeah, I mean, England also have very players who are adept at playing the, the Gerson's role. So maybe um, that is one for Southgate to think of. But it isn't, everything shouldn't always come back to what Southgate can then bless him. If he has to look at every single winning performance through the Euros and then adapt his team accordingly, it's going to be give him quite a headache. But Hugh, you haven't said Alison, I was wrong. And Alison, you were right. And Germany are actually quite a strong looking team, have you? No, and I'm not going to because okay. I don't think yet they are particularly good. I I, th- I don't think Portugal played to their best, particularly defensively today. And I think Germany were impressive enough against France to show us that they've still got quality, but not enough to win the tournament. I didn't, I still didn't see a tournament winning side today. Maybe that's just me doubling down. I don't know. James, what do you think? I want to. I know you didn't ask about them, but I want to stick the boot into Portugal. I just thought. I honestly just thought they were inept. I mean, Portugal is supposed to be, you know, Portugal are the defending champions. I mean, that's Portugal are a serious team. They're, they're ranked fifth in the world. You know, Fernando Santos is a vastly experienced coach. In fact, I think he's the, I think only Joachim Love has coached more European championship games than Fernando Santos. But I just can't, I honestly can't remember in a big, a big international game like that, just seeing one manager just gets so completely tactically outcoached by the other. I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, just uh, Fernando Santos just did not set his team up in a way that, you know, gave them, you know, any chance to cope with the the wing back. Uh, the wing backs of Germany were just in just in just vast oceans of space, and it seemed like Fernando Santos just didn't really adapt to that. You know, he started a very defensive looking team with you know two out and out defensive midfielders, William Carvalho and, and Danilo. And I know he brought on Renato Sanchez at half time, but I mean, for a team that's set up with two defensive midfielders in front of the back four, I mean, to be cut open the way they were by Germany in the first half, um, it was unbelievable, I thought. I know, okay, you believe that Portugal weren't at their best and the manager was responsible for that. But as we've already been speaking about the German manager, how did he get it so tactically right? Because, of course, he's been criticised for playing this way already. Was it, it, was, it couldn't strictly have been the opposition today, could it? I think the 3-4-3 three, three system suits Germany quite well in that, you know, they've obviously got a player, Robin Gersens, who plays in that system with Atalanta. And it's, it's sort of worked to kind of mixed effect in some of their previous games. They had a very good uh, game before the tournament where they really, I mean, it was only against Latvia, but they really tore them apart on 1-7-1. 
Um, I thought they played okay against France, actually. Yeah, but I mean, it just it just it, it just seemed to kind of the tactical sort of you know battle of two teams. It's kind of sort of all about the the cut and thrust and how one team responds to, to the other team. And I just I just felt. You know, it was clear that Portugal were just being, you know, had just got it wrong in the way they set up and were just being completely cut open by Germany um, and they just didn't respond or adapt. I think James has come down on my side there, Alison. Would you like to respond? Was it all Portugal's fault? When you can only beat what's put in front of you, and I think for a team to bounce back after a deeply disappointing opening game where people called Hugh decided to write Germany off, um, showed quite quite a bit of character and crucially that the, the team still believes it's not it's not got that um I mean I was there when they fell out of the World Cup and that they did visibly wobble there was a sense of what why, why isn't this clicking for us what's going wrong and they could have easily just sort of lost that self-belief which is which is important in any team that thinks it's has a chance in any competition. They could have lost that self belief after their opening game, um, but they, especially when you you've dominated possession and you've created, and it's an own goal that gets you. You know that, that could have hurt them, but instead they played with almost abandon and um, a relaxedness, which I think is impressive if you add up all the factors leading up to the match. They're they're certainly on an upward trajectory. They, I mean, you know, <laughs> they are not as bad as everyone thinks they might have been. They're a darn sight better. Ian, would you add Germany to the list of potential winners? I know you say you, you haven't written them off, but where do you think they rank amongst the favourites? Because they, they really did show what they could possibly do today. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, absolutely. I think, I think uh, you know, they've, they've got a decent chance. I'd, I'd say we wouldn't be surprised from here if they were semi-finalists. I think we'd be mildly surprised if they, they got to the the final but uh you know they've, they've they've got they've got a terrific heart of the team six or seven of those players you would really trust the goalkeeper you would trust you you would trust that goalkeeper to to pass the ball 90 yards and get it right you know he i thought he was fantastic today you know in, in the in in the stuff of his feet that he does so well I'm not sure if I'm quite in this this yogi loving that's going on can anybody explain why Kai Havertz was playing at centre half when Ronaldo scored. I'm going to hand this one over to James. Yeah, that was that was very weird that passage of play. When I think the uh, <laughs> obviously uh, Portugal countered from a corner, and I think the three Germany players that fell back were Ilke Gundogan, uh, Gersens, and Kai Havertz, which did it did seem a bit of a strange. It seemed a bit of a, a strange a strange setup to defend that corner. And yet very symmetrical, James, because it was Ronaldo who cleared from the corner and then scored the goal. So it was an Enid Blight and Topsy Turvy goal. <laughs> it was a brilliant goal. I mean, it was it, 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 it was it was a brilliant piece of Ronaldoism, which I'm sure he'll have noted. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what did you make of his influence of it? Are we seeing a a 71 million pound player yet? Yeah, I thought Habits played really well, um, and I think. At times he can sort of seem he can seem quite indistinct. You're not sort of quite sure what position he's playing. Sometimes he looks quite indecisive. He sort of looks a bit a bit lost. But he can be so effective in the penalty area in such an unusual way. I, I mean, I wrote in my piece. He's almost as a kind of central attacking presence. He's almost the complete opposite of Ronaldo, who like everything Ronaldo does is just incredibly purposeful and direct. Um, 
whereas Havertz sort of affects the game in these very sort of unusual ways and 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 sort of you know befitting of uh, you know he's sort of in some ways he's the ultimate kind of false nine, isn't he? And, and so yeah, he's so clever. He's I mean to be honest, he's actually a very hard he's he's a very hard player to analyze because sometimes he's so subtle in he's so subtle in what he does, and, and sometimes. Um, you sort of find yourself thinking, or at least I, I certainly do find myself thinking, what, what is he doing? And it can be really hard to sort of to work out what he is actually doing. But he's he's such a clever player, um, and yeah, he was brilliant, brilliant today. After two matches in Group F, France have four points, Germany three in second, then Portugal with three points as well. Hungary on one. So just about anything can happen from here on out. France, of course, head the list, generally speaking, of possible winners with most of the bookmakers in this tournament. But that one all draw with an inspired Hungary today in Budapest was, and I hate to centre everything on England again, Alison, but it was it was mainly greeted by England fans trying to justify a draw with Scotland at Wembley, to be perfectly honest. Um, but but today did show, I think, that, that France are human. Is that a good thing for the other Big teams in the competition to know, Alison. <laughs> Probably Hugh, yes. <laughs> um, but but on the other hand, France did not start the 2018 World Cup terribly impressively. It's, I, I sometimes get the feeling that there's just so much talent for Deschamps to choose from that he needs to create problems so that he's motivated to manage properly. Um, and, you know, I mean, France didn't look like they were going to win the World Cup when they started their World Cup campaign. Um, I mean, Aust- their first game was against Australia. Australia was so unlucky in that match. And, you know, slowly, just slowly, Deschamps made changes, ended up building the team around Giroud, ironically, um, uh, to, to make them uh, fall into a gear that, that meant they were unstoppable in the end. And I think a similar thing will probably happen this time around. Everyone will, especially in France, will be very cross that the team could only draw with Hungary. And they didn't look like they were clicking. They had lots of mitigating factors. It was extremely hot and it was, you know, a hot time of day. They were visibly uh, shocked by the wall of noise from 60,000 in the stadium. They, uh, they, they wobbled, actually. But the game, you know, it also gave me my new favourite manager, um, Marco Rossi, <laughs> afterwards. I don't know. I've been quoting this all day. He said, um, <laughs> he said, the mother of idiots is always pregnant, which is a fantastic phrase. <laughs> and he, he was saying that because um, he'd got, been criticised for his selection policy. And of course... A few of the players that people didn't want to see played very well. And that was his way of saying there will always be somebody. There will always be somebody, whether they're called Hugh or whoever, who will mm. who will who will say, Oh, you've got it wrong. And then one day you'll get it right. And it was it was um one of those incredible performances you need from a tournament. Because there's no there, there are there are no household names in that team. They're they're built purely on a sort of fabric of we used to be the mighty Magyars and now we're nothing. And there's a lot of, ooh, what's gone wrong? And we can never be good again. And what's happening? And yet they've, you know, they they, they just did not, their running stats were fantastic. And it wasn't just blood and guts. It, there, was a, there was some invention. There was some intelligent football. Their goal was 
really nice. I'd be very happy to watch that 60 or 70 times. Really loved it. Um, so it was a fully, fully deserved draw. But I, And I think you'll find in France tonight, they're probably saying France didn't even deserve the point. Yeah, well, there was some naivety, dare I say, complacency from my perspective in the, the France performance. Ian, what did you think about it? Well, I, I, yeah, we were reminded that that in this France team, the talents that they are, that there's well, there's a maximum maybe of two two superhumans, Ungolo, obviously, and Mbappe sometimes. Although you saw some of his flaws today, towards the beginning of the game, you know, he, he might have done better with with a couple of headers, mightn't he? And Varane, Varane, unfortunately, it's a truth, isn't it, that there's an error in Rafa Varane. It's a question of, you know, when the roulette wheel spins for him. He's a very good player, but his his last few years have been peppered with these with these big game errors. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't classify this as one of his his bad ones, but uh, but he, but he didn't have a very good afternoon. I I, I must say I, I I I suspect France will be thinking. Thank goodness we probably don't have to play Hungary in Budapest again. I mean, it, it does seem that we really are seeing the impact after so long of a full stadium in the games there and in the the galvanising of this this Hungary team. I mean, perhaps I'm being a little bit nostalgic for full stadiums about it, but just from a distance, it does seem to have a terrific effect. I think it did certainly today. Uh, on the Hungary team and on the France team as well. James, there is one element I wanted to discuss with you. Karim Benzema, he still hasn't scored in the four games since he's returned to the France squad. He missed a great chance early on. Lovely bit of setup play from Kylian Mbappe. Do you think there's going to be a clamour for Olivier Giroud to return to the starting lineup? I don't actually know, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't actually know that well how that debate is playing out in France. I, I can only say, I, I mean, I was... So surprised when I heard that Deschamps had made this decision to recall Benzema. It just seemed to obviously go against everything that he's kind of prioritized as France coach, which is sort of, you know, the kind of equilibrium of the of the squad and the sort of the morale and the cohesion. It just seemed an awfully big kind of gamble to take on uh you know a player who yeah he's i mean benzema's had a very good season but he's 33 and it's not like olivier Giroud hasn't been a good player for france olivier Giroud has been very good center forward for france i mean yeah maybe he's more maybe he's more limited than benzema but the team as alison said that the team has been sort of set up in such a way that it plays to his strengths and that he plays to the strengths of all the French players who are probably more talented than he is. Um, I haven't seen a lot from Benzema in the first two games that has really made me think that was a great decision by Deschamps. You know, um, thank God he got him in the team. Uh, he had some like there, there, there were some nice, there were a couple of nice moments of link up with Mbappe in the uh, the opening game against Germany. But there's nothing so far that really makes me think, wow. Benzema is a real upgrade on Giroud. That was what they were really looking for to take this team to the next level. I also think Deschamps missing a trick because Giroud is so highly motivated to catch Thierry Henry's goal-scoring record for France. He only needs five, I think, to catch him. So, and he likes, you know, he's spoken publicly about his love of breaking records, and 
that he was trying not to get despondent that the Euros were delayed by a year, which matters to players when they're, you know, they're, they're past their peak and they, they know they've only got so many years left and those records look like they're dipping over the horizon. So you've got someone who's proven, A, proven that he can knit that team together very intelligently, but also has an individual need to play and to score. And I don't think Benzema has shown anything at all that you would think, oh, you know, he's got, he's got to be picked, he's got to keep picking him. And his post-match press conference, um, Deschamps was asked about Benzema. And he says, we know he's capable of beautiful things. He knows there are high expectations. He has my confidence and he knows that, which implies to me he's not going to drop him for Giroud. But I don't, maybe, maybe he likes what he sees in training. We always have to assume this. But it, um, on the face of what's gone on during the two matches, I would, I personally would say, <laughs> okay, have a breather, Benzema. Go, 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 go karting and let um, Giroud have a chance. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Funny that. Do you think if Deschamps rang Thomas Tuchel and Zinedine Zidane and asked for, for recommendations about which centre forward he would play, what, what answer do you think he'd get? No, it's completely different. No, I, I get the point, but Giroud's role for France is a very specific role. Giroud, as you know, did not score during the 2018 World Cup, nor did he have a shot on target. But his, his influence, his intelligence, his hold at play, his distribution, and the way he just made the team tick was was all important they didn't they didn't function when he when he wasn't on the pitch and they did when he was and those attributes don't disappear because you're a bit older they're not the ones that disappear he wasn't he was never in the france team at the world cup because of his pace he was there for his intelligence and his link up play Ian? and he should be fresh he should be fresher shouldn't he because he's played so Little and when he has, yeah, played, yeah, no, there, there, there is that argument. But, but, um, you know, as 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 James was saying, something, something quite important drove Deschamps to to recall Benzema, and there have been for quite a long time many good football reasons to recall Benzema. Um, and I just, yeah, a, a a diminished faith in Giroud was clearly part of that, fairly or not. We'll see what decision Didier Deschamps makes going forward. He's got both of those players at his disposal for a, a big final group game against Portugal, Ian. It's, it becomes huge now, of course, given today's results for both teams. Do you think Portugal will have enough, especially defensively, to hurt the French in a, in a key match like that? I, I think Portugal will be, will be a bit rattled after this, and I think they will be alarmed by how easily they were cut open. And, you know, there's... The, there really is on paper. There's not a lot between these two teams, and um, yeah, they'll, they'll be scared of they'll be scared of a France who who now more urgently need to get a positive result out, out of it. Although there's still limited jeopardy, isn't there? Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I think I think this could be quite this could be quite alarming for Portugal, and 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 I, I do fear for at least ten of their players if it starts going wrong because the scowling they will get from their captain doesn't bear thinking about, does it? Before we look ahead to the game between Wales and Italy, their final group match in Group A, elsewhere today in Group E, it was back-to-back draws for Luis Enrique's Spain. They were slightly pedestrian, it must be said, in their draw with Poland. Gerard Moreno missing a penalty. Alvaro Morata did score, but he really should have got more 
Alison, do you think a goalless draw with Sweden in their first match, then this one-all draw with Poland, is an acceptable result for a Spain side that despite being in maybe a transitional period, still has a lot of talent? Well, uh, I really I really don't care if they go out. They, they, they do nothing for me, Spain. I was I was really bored by them. Uh, you know, you, you know a team's boring you when they make loads of substitutions and they all look exactly the same. You think, well, I don't, I don't know what the point of that was. They're still playing rubbish. They were flimsy in attack. Um, they've got loads on, on paper, loads of talent. I don't, I'm, Luis Arinke clearly has some sort of cunning plan because he's leaving Thiago out when he's one of the best midfielders in the world. Um, but I don't, I don't quite know what the plan is. Is it to replicate what Barcelona were like 15 years ago? I think that's probably his plan. I, I, I find them utterly, utterly infuriating implies that I care more than I do. I, I disliked watching them and I found myself really rooting for Poland. I don't think I've ever done that in my life before. And I found I was watching Poland thinking, oh, they're exciting. I like, I like them on the break. I like their um, physicality. I like um, the fact they're sort of scrambling around in the box and they're getting a bit of luck. There was just something, something ineffectual about Spain, which I, I think must boil down to they're not entirely sure what the plan is either. It's it was strange. There was very little individual expression. Don't know. Does anyone think they're attractive? I, I, I there were a lot of people's sort of picks, secret picks. You know, I just I just don't know why. I have to say, no team has uh, personally disappointed me more than Spain. I mean, I have not, uh, whilst greatly respecting, obviously, the Spain teams of the, uh, you know, the 28 to 2008 to 2012 era, I personally did not particularly enjoy watching that kind of, that vintage of Spain team, though, you know, with the way that they played, uh, very high possession, very slow, lots of lateral passing, that sort of sterile domination. They're a very, very successful team, but I just didn't, particularly enjoy watching that team but I sort of really was looking forward to this Spain team because I thought they might be different I really obviously really liked uh you know I really really liked watching the Luis Enrique's Barcelona team which was a very fun team to watch and Spain have lots of fun players um and I really hope that they might be different this tournament but they just seem to have fallen back into I don't know whether it's the kind of Maybe whether the sort of the the heat in 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 Seville has played a role, maybe the fatigue of the players, but again, they just seem very slow, very lateral. Again, just the the sort of same old sterile domination. They seem very much in the grip of this sort of you know possession possession worship, midfielder worship. Uh, I haven't understood Luis Enrique's substitutions at all. Just sort of bringing on, you know, midfielders like Fabian Ruiz when you're sort of trying to bl- break down a, a, a deep block. Um, I mean, I know it's, you know, in some ways, I know it's kind of maybe a bit simplistic to say bring on Adama Traore, but, uh, you know, bringing on one of the best dribblers in in, in the world, uh, you know, when you're sort of struggling to create against a deep block. I don't know, maybe that's too obvious, but I mean, it, it sort of, um, I'm surprised that he hasn't done it, put it that way. The reason, James, James, the reason he didn't bring on Traore is because if Traore had gone on one of his scintillating, powerful runs, the rest of his teammates would have gone, ooh, that's scary, I don't like it. <laughs> 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Let's look ahead to the third and final group games in Group A. The winner of the game in Rome between Italy and Wales will be top of the group. Both sides essentially through as it stands. So for both managers, it's a chance to rotate. And this is really finally a question for all of you. Would you go for it if you were Rob Page and Roberto Mancini? Play your strongest side. Or would you give some of your better players a rest? Um, Ian, I'm going to start with you on this one. I would probably give a different answer with each of their respective hats on. Um, I think if I was Roberto Mancini, yes, I would. Um, Obviously, I'm top of the group anyway. He will want to look at Marco Verratti, who's coming back from injury and is very important to Italy's plans. So that you know, there's an opportunity there, um, and and I think he probably will want to rest people. I think Chiellini is probably not going to be fit anyway. So yeah, I, I think he's in he's in he's in quite a luxurious position, and you know, this is the only time in the tournament you'll get that sort of opportunity to to be a little bit whimsical or or you know, pay attention to the medical staff who are telling you that X or Y is really, really tired. So I think I think he will take advantage of that. I think Robert Page has, you know, he Robert Page has done very well having identified his best eleven quite soon before the tournament and and, you know, to some skepticism. You know, I think he really values the fact that first of all that best eleven has worked. They are playing better and better with one another and you know there is that that magic momentum thing so i think he'll be more reluctant to to tinker and of, you know of course you know there is there is a massive prize for wales if they if they can beat italy 
I mean, for a start, you know, how does how does that sound? We beat Italy and Rome. But there's also a practical thing. If they if they win, they go through to the last 16 tie at Wembley, which is probably not naturally Wales' favourite stadium, but it, it would mean that they could get a lot of fans watching them. You know, this, this might all sound far-fetched, beating Italy in Rome is, you know, it's it's a big ask. But 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 I do think the Wales manager will pick his best eleven with that with that possibility. Well, I believe it's it's possible if those two things happen. Roberto Mancini rests some of his best players, and Wales go full you know full power to see if they can do it. James, do you think that will happen though? I I don't know, but I tell you what what is quite an, what is quite an interesting wrinkle, and I think. I don't know if teams actually do do this. I suspect that they don't. But if you were to look at the the knockout draw, and it's always very dangerous to try and game the knockout draw, and I don't, I don't suspect anyone really does it. But I think I would rather be in the quarter of the draw that the runner-up from Group A goes into than the the winner. The winner of Group A, you're probably looking at quarterfinal against Belgium in Munich, probably. And it is always... It is always a bit of a fool's errand to try and predict these things. Whereas the uh, the runner-up in Group A, I think, gets a very nice draw where you play the runner-up, the Group B runner-up in the last 16. So one of Denmark, Finland, or Russia. And then the quarterfinal is probably against the Netherlands, who, you know, have looked good, but I think are probably the weakest of the of the eventual group winners probably so yeah I mean I think that's just I, I, I suspect that's not something that either coach will have in mind but it is quite an interesting sort of thing to to sort of be aware of as we move into the into the knockout stage uh, to be honest with you I, I, I imagine that both coaches will probably play something close m- m- closer to their first 11 than, than to their second 11 put it that way Wales, of course, though, have that added uh, factor that if if Switzerland do beat Turkey heavily, that they might end up third in the group. So there, there is a, an element of even if you lose to Italy, could be a horrible result, even if it's 1-0. But um, they, they might have to go all out to, to at least get a point. What would you do, Alison, if you were Rob Page? Well, I wouldn't get overexcited because t- t- Turkey have been pretty disappointing. So that isn't really an indicator that you're in awesome um, form and they could only draw with Switzerland, who I think have have looked more average than I was expecting. So if I was in charge of Wales, my priority would be to assume those two results are indicative of, of not too much. And you want to really test yourself against a team that are capable of, of going all the way because you, you know, as you get into the comp- deep into the competition, the, the opposition is more likely to be of the caliber of, of Italy and be more defensively sound. So I would, I would treat it as a very serious, um, you know, must-win game, and really work out just how good the team is. And because at the moment it, it looks like it's sort of improving by the minute. But that you know that isn't really no, that isn't knowable when you, you've you've just played Turkey, who were deeply disappointing. I, I think if I was Wales, I, I, uh, if I was Rob Page, I think Wales are a slightly, in some ways, they're a slightly different case to most of the teams in the tournament. You know, ordinarily you, you might 
say, or, or one might say, if you've already secured qualification for the knockout stage, in some ways, the sensible thing to do would be to rest your your best players. But I think Wales are uh, they're just a slightly different case because I think so much of of what Wales are about in this tournament is it's about. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is about the kind of emotional chemistry and momentum of that particular team. It's about the the kind of sheer enjoyment of these you know the players evidently take in playing with each other, and I think you sort of interrupt that emotional momentum at your peril. You know, if you sort of, if, you know, say uh, Rob Page were to kind of strip out the, the the big players and to be, to take that ultra cautious option and, and, you know, not to play Bale or Ramsey or Rodon or any of the most important players. Uh, and you sort of have a very flat kind of performance uh, against Ro- uh, against against Italy. Sorry. Yeah. I think there's, 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 there's a risk in that that goes beyond the obviously non-existent risk in in terms of the results. There's a sort of risk to the kind of the psychological and sort of emotional momentum that that that, that Wales have established and obviously have a precedent for establishing during these tournaments. I think it's going to be a great game in Rome. I think Wales, I'm predicting they're going to get a point against Italy, which will be enough for second in the group, leave the Italians top, have a great draw, reach the semi-finals once again. I'm I'm fully behind the red wall and, and Wales in this competition, having gone to those two games in Baku. So you can call me a Wales fan for the rest of the competition. I'm I'm dismissing the three lines from here on out, Alison. I can only apologise. Uh, James Greerbrandt, James Gearbrandt, Alison Rudd, Ian Hawkey. Thank you very much for being with me on the game podcast this evening. Plenty more to come, of course. We'll be discussing Wales 24 hours from now. But if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. And of course, make sure you've got a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you can get it for less than a pound a day. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. 